You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Thank you for joining us in worship this morning. Thank you all for worship music. A lot of times we just think of uh, worship as being the music part, but uh, we worship in the preaching, we worship in the reading of the word and in prayer. It's all part of worship. So just encouragement, maybe to change your vocabulary up a little bit and say instead of going to church, we're going to worship. Um, just a thought kind of might help. Um, today's scripture reading is 1 Timothy 6, 2b through 10. Um, it's on page 90, 934 in the Bible in the chair back in front of you. If you ha- need a Bible, you're more than welcome to take that Bible with you. Um, before I read, though, I would like to give you kind of an update on Sojourn Church that we're planting in Gardner. If you didn't know that, that's what we're doing. Um, it's what God is doing. Sorry about that. Um, but we have a launch team that's meeting every Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock here at the church, and we're going through what it's like to be a church and to be a member and a lot of things that um, we went through here years ago, almost 28 years ago, for Mill Creek. We have about 16 adults and 15 children uh, that uh, are, have committed right now to, to be part of that launch team. Uh, we are launching January 21st, um, so it's coming up. It's about two months away that uh, you'll see those people exit and begin a new chapter. Um, usually the first question is that people ask is um, when you say you're going to plant a church, and they're like, oh, where? Where are you going to meet? And so we did find a place to meet in Gardner. Um, it's maybe not ideal, but it was a good deal for us. Um, it's the Grange building on the fairgrounds, uh, so it's not like where the cattle and the sheep and all that smell is. So uh, we're excited about that. Um, there are three opportunities that if you would like to <clears throat> uh, know how you could help. Uh, first of all, pray for us. Pray for uh, Jonathan. Um, he has to deal with us. So uh, as we go, and yes, I will be going as well. Um, so that's kind of exciting. More to say about that here in a second, but um, but also consider giving. We do need support uh, in in our church in Gardner. Um, so if you would like to give, there's ways to give on sojourngardner.com. And then consider joining us if you feel so inclined, and if the Lord leads you to. Um, only if the Lord leads you to, to, to join us in our ministry there in Gardner. Um, pray for Gardner as well. Um, about 28 years ago, my wife and I were um, church shopping. We had just left the church. We really uh, didn't fit in there. Part of the ministry that we wanted to be involved in was not what the church wanted to be involved in. So we just decided we'd look for somewhere else. We landed at Olathe Bible Church. The first Sunday that the pastor, if you remember, Pastor Gary was our first pastor before Jeremy, and um, he preached and said, they're starting a new church here in the Shawnee area, and um, I told my wife, I'm like, we're going there. So um, we have been here since day one, uh, charter members. Uh, there's very few of us left. Actually, I think we're not the last ones. I think Andrea here is still a charter member. I uh, apologize if there's anybody else, but I don't think there is as far as I know, so um, it's kind of um, exciting, but it's also a little sad um, in ways. This is probably the last time I'll be reading scripture at Mill Creek. Um, but I'll be reading scripture 
in sojourn at our church plant there and uh, being a big part of that, um, hopefully big part of that uh, church plant as well there. So, um, yeah, the last service I said I was leaving to go to Sojourn Gardner, and I think somebody said, good. I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, he came up afterwards to explain what he meant. So, I, no, I totally get it. It's fine. Um, I'll try not to speak too long because somebody else came up to me afterwards and said, good message. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> um, anyway. So we are looking forward to planting a church in Gardner and joining that church plant there. Um, and these are ways that you can help uh, with that. So um, if you'd like to join us for a while and then come back, that's fine. But I don't plan on returning um, unless I have to clean up things. Jeremy's messed up. Um, but uh, that's, that's the plan. So we are asking the Lord's blessing on our, on our, um, our venture into Gardner. So. Well, please follow along as I read 1 Timothy 6, 2b through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is the word of the Lord, and it is true. Let's pray. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we are so grateful that we can come together and worship together as we pray, as we sing, as we read scripture together, and as we hear God's word. Above all, may your name be glorified. Thank you for the passage this morning that cuts straight to our heart and our soul. But that's what the word of the Lord does. Lord, I pray that you would use your word to change our lives. Help us to remember to seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to us. We trust you in that, and we are grateful. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Craig. Certainly miss you and Miss Denise. Well, imagine with me that you owned a home, and you just got that home. You'd only been in there for a short time, and you woke up one morning early, and you grabbed some coffee or whatever you do, and you were bleary-eyed, and you're just kind of getting your bearings when all of a sudden you look there at the main floor of this home that's new to you, and you notice 
there is a gigantic slope happening on this first floor and your furniture and the decorations and even stuff on the walls is like Dr. Seuss style leaning in there on the main floor because it's sunk like several feet. Now hopefully this doesn't actually happen to any of us here because, because if you did, if, if that happened, you have a, a nearly fatal problem on your hands. But what would you do if that was the situation if the kids' toys and everything were just all globbed there at the very center of it. What would even be the problem? Who would you call? Answer, of course, you would need a structural engineer. Structural engineers, Google tells me, they are, they are professionally capable of evaluating the load-bearing walls and the structures underneath that main floor to determine what in the goodness is going on. How in the world did you come to have this floor that had sagged so far? Well, this morning you might have been listening. I hope you were listening as God's word was read. You might notice there was no structural engineers mentioned in the text. And then there's not even an illustration of a first floor that's sagging. And yet, this morning what we find is, is we've walked through this Blueprint of 1 Timothy, we've seen Paul offering Timothy, here's how a church ought to be structured. Here's what the church is supposed to be built upon. And in this section, we find Paul operating like a structural engineer. For a church that spiritually has an awful sag in it, what should be done Paul's coming in and he's saying, hey, Timothy, and us by extension, I've got two inspections that I want to explain to you. Two tests that would help you get to the problem of this floor and help you realize, do we have significant repairs that are necessary? Are we in a position where we need to actually evacuate the premises because this thing's going to cave in on itself? Or... Or is it you just didn't quite see clearly and you actually have a very sound first floor? This morning then we're going to follow the text and, and, and Paul has two inspections so our sermon will have two parts. If you're taking notes, you want to write them down, here they are. First are the Mill Creek leaders teaching sound doctrine or different doctrine. Second inspection, are Mill Creek leaders content with Christ or craving cash. And what we're going to find is that Paul has in his heart for Timothy clarity on how to inspect the teachers in Ephesus. Then, of course, we're going to take that word to them, apply it to us today. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open to 1 Timothy chapter 6? So I want to show you from God's word what Paul has written how this can impact our church today. There's two inspections. Let's start with the first. Here it is. Are Mill Creek leaders teaching sound doctrine or different doctrine? I hope you've made your way there in the scripture to find the second half of verse 2. You'll notice Paul saying, teach and urge these things. 
If anyone teaches a different doctrine that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. So I want you to see right there at the beginning is we have two types of doctrine. Do you notice that we have, on the one hand, different doctrine, and then we have the sound words, or what we're calling sound doctrine. So Paul giving us these two categories, and we are trying to make sure, Paul wants for Timothy to ensure that the teaching there accords with godliness. Would you say godliness on the count of three? One, two, three. Godliness. Now, you've got to understand godliness in 1 Timothy because godliness in 1 Timothy is very different than the godliness that I often think of. Maybe you do too. When I think about godliness, I think about bellying up to the obedience bar. When I think about godliness, I think about, okay, there's a bunch of stuff we're supposed to do as Christians. In case you haven't read the New Testament, there's a bunch of positive and negative commands we're called to follow. And when I think about godliness, I begin to think about all those things that we're trying to do. And while there is a time and a place for all of those positive commands, by God's grace, we intend to understand and apply all of them. When Paul uses godliness in 1 Timothy, that's not the way he uses it. Okay, so I'm not saying that there's not a time and a place to talk through obeying positive commands. But what Paul means here, he talks about the mystery of godliness, and we know that from 1 Timothy 3.16. See, if you want to just take one page back, or fine, if you just want to scroll up a little bit to find 1 Timothy 3.16, help yourself, you'll notice that he's talking to Timothy. Paul is about the mystery of godliness. And in Paul's 1 Timothy letter, then, his heart isn't primarily about Hey, Timothy, you got to make sure that when you're teaching, you're making everybody belly up to the obedience bar and eat more obedience. Rather, what Paul's saying is, in this letter, godliness isn't about obedience as much. It's not about goodliness. The mystery of godliness from 1 Timothy 3.16 isn't about what we do. It's about what Jesus did. See, Jesus, he bellied up to the obedience bar, didn't he? And, and the mystery of godliness isn't about how we're trying to do everything we can so that God would look at us and say, you now can be saved because you've obeyed enough. That's false teaching. What Paul wants to make sure is the teaching that's sound, the healthy words, Timothy, that is getting taught has to be all about what Jesus did and how he accomplished salvation for us. Amen? Oh, come on, you can do a little better than that. Amen? All right, salvation is by Christ alone. It's not by us bellying up to the obedience bar. And that then is one of the big differences between sound teaching or different doctrine. So Timothy, Paul's saying, you got to inspect the load-bearing walls of this church to see what kind of teaching is operational. What that means for us then, or, or in modern day, we want to be able to be the kind of church that has sound teaching, healthy doctrine. We are faithful to God's word. But a little sidebar real quick, there is a tendency for churches like us who are fundamental conservatives, in case you didn't know and you're a member here, you're like, I'm a part of a fundamentalist church? Yes. <laughs> 
in the best sense, in that if fundamentalism is we believe this is God's true word, and when rightly read, understood, and applied, we are seeking to obey what God has commanded us. We believe the fundamentals of the faith. Um, no, no matter how it makes you feel, we are fundamentalists. <laughs> That's conservative. And the tendency of a church like us is we think every doctrine in all the Bible is essential. <laughs> and so we often, churches like us, have a statement of faith that is uh, 14 pages long, 1,400 pages long, and we just put everything in there because it's so essential, and that's the tendency of churches on this side of the spectrum. Of course, there's a bunch of churches out there who are very liberal, Protestant liberals. Um, they also have a view of doctrine, and they feel like nothing should go into the essential bucket. Um, there's actually no reason that you should divide, and it's okay to believe whatever you want to believe, and um, that's why they have no statement of faith on their website, and that's why their pastors... Um, can not even be Christian and they're able to lead because there's no doctrine that's actually worth it. And there's this tension then with churches like us that I'm just wanting you to understand. And if you're uh, newer to Mill Creek or didn't know, if you're a member here, we have a document that we call uh, uh, Essentials, Convictions, and Preferences. And we would love to give you a copy if you're curious because we think when it comes to healthy doctrine, it's not just about what do we believe, but also how important is that doctrine? Because as it turns out, there's really no church that you're going to be able to go to that, at least I would bet, agrees with every single little thing that you believe. And um, I mean, unless you just decide to have a church, mom and dad in your own house, and force your kids to be a part of it. But even then, I bet they may have a difference of opinion on what you actually believe about doctrine. They just, they're not allowed to say so, else they get grounded. And so <laughs> we have this document. We would love to be able to give it to you. What, what I'm trying to say is, that it's important when you're wanting to find a church that has good doctrine, that you not only understand what you believe, but also how critical is it? Of course, preferential doctrines, this is what we think, but we're willing to concede that not everybody necessarily feels the same way. So I'd love to give you one of those if you're interested. We want to invite you to inspect and evaluate our doctrine, just like Paul tells Timothy to do, sidebar over. But what about those teachers that don't actually accord with true godliness? Well, look what Paul says about them. Verse 4, they are puffed up with conceit and they understand nothing. They're puffed up with conceit and understand nothing, which you might think, well, that's pretty judgmental, Paul. Why are you? So if they teach a different doctrine, they're puffed up with conceit and they understand nothing. But, but understand Paul would be like, a, like if a modern-day structural engineer went into a high-rise apartment and evaluated the pillars in the basement and realized, this thing's going to fall because those pillars were not properly constructed. The engineering is wrong. And if that structural engineer went to the owner of the apartment and, and said, you have got to get everybody out right now. Whoever built this thing, they are fools. And if you don't listen to me, you are fools. This thing is caving in. Would you call that person judgmental? In my view, that person actually loves people. And they're just trying to protect. They're trying to protect innocent people who might otherwise being a terrible catastrophe. That's what, that's what Paul's heart is here. When he says, look, when you have these other teachers teaching different doctrine, that is going to hurt people. 
And church, it's true. Bad theology hurts people. It especially hurts women and children. That's a sermon for a different day, but bad theology hurts people. And what Paul then is saying is you need to listen to these true words. Look at the qualifications. Look at the characteristics that follow unhealthy teachers. They have an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind, deprived of the truth. I imagine Pigpen, that Charlie Brown character that when he walks around, he just has odor emanating from his character and he just needs a bath, something fierce. I imagine that's what these false teachers are like. They've just got a stench on them that smells like all of these qualities. And I wonder for us, church, when historians look back on this age, will they find us guilty of these kinds of attitudes when it came to masks or vaccines or politics? Sound doctrine should agree with the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ. It should not be marked by these types of qualities. I love the way Stott synthesizes in his commentary, Paul's first load-bearing inspection here. Here's what he writes. The apostle evaluates the false teachers in relation to questions of truth, unity, and motivation. Paul's criticism of them is that they deviate from the faith, they split the church, and they love money. They are heterodox, which is the opposite of orthodox or faithful. They're, they're heterodox, they're divisive, and they're covetous. Here then is what Paul's telling Timothy. Here's how you know if you have the right kind of leaders. Are they teaching sound doctrine or different doctrine? Now maybe you're sitting here listening. Okay, thanks pastor for that history lesson in Ephesus. What in the world do I do with that today? Well, let's try to apply that to us today. I want to talk to three groups of people. Members of Mill Creek Community Church, those of you who are guests, and then anyone in here who would say, I'm just checking this Jesus thing out. I'm not even a Christian yet. Let me talk to all three. First, if you're a member here, you're a member, you've committed to us. If you're here, here's how this applies to you. You have to evaluate, are you being taught sound doctrine or different doctrine? You need to know that. For what Paul is explaining is that the structural integrity of this church, what is going to protect it from becoming a cereal bowl that's sagging and going to hurt people, is whether or not the teachers are giving truth or untruth. You need to go to the subfloor of the teaching, so to speak. Metaphorically, go into the church's basement and go, okay, are these solid Jesus Christ godliness pillars or not? To say it different, when you come here, we always ask you to bring your Bibles because I don't want you just taking my word for it. Okay, I'm not asking you just to drink the, the Jeremy Kool-Aid. If I say it, my mom believes it, but you're not my mom, so that's the only person that can get away with it, okay? I want you bringing your Bible, and I want you reading the word and saying, 
Just like the Bereans in Acts 17, 10 to 12. Once you're listening to sermons, whether it's me or somebody else up here, listening to sermons and going, is that what the text says? That's your job. See, Christians, we, we, we're not trying to brainwash anybody. We don't want you to check your brain at the, at the doors. We want you to engage it. Lean in. Pastor, that, that sounds like I'm going to have to put some effort forth as I sit here and listen. Yeah, man, this ain't the movies. I'm working. You're working. But we work. Turns out a 2,000-year-old book, kind of hard to understand sometimes. But by God's grace, we can. So I want you to evaluate is what you're being taught what God's word says? If it is what God's word says, man, amen. That's good teaching. And if it's not, it's bad teaching. And members, if you ever find yourself at a church where you don't open your Bible, man, I hope you give them that, give them that stink eye. By God's grace, we want to be the kind of church that's leaning in on God's word. Second question for you members, not just evaluating us, but let me ask you, how are you doing in your teaching of doctrine. See, as it turns out, if you're a member here, then you share the mission with us, remember? Disciples, making disciples for God's glory. And what a brilliant mission statement, if you ask me. That was a joke, okay. <laughs> it's right back there. Okay, it's our mission status, okay. Gee whiz, pastor, that mission's like the, that's the same mission statement of a lot of churches out there. Oh, good, they're fundamental conservatives too. They're great, they read the Bible, they, they believe it as well. This mission, members excuse me, disciples making disciples for God's glory, members, our job then is we also are discipling. And the question of the people you're discipling, parents, your kids, maybe you're a Bible study leader, whoever's there in your group, maybe you're leading a life group, whatever the circle of influence that you're making disciples of, question for you is, are you teaching sound doctrine or do you teach different doctrine? If you're following 1 Timothy, are you helping them belly up to the bar of Jesus' obedience? Or do you teach something different? Is there an unhealthy craving for controversy or quarreling about your words when you disciple people, friends? Members, as you disciple, is there envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion, constant friction? If so, repairs are needed. Members teaching sound doctrine, amen. For those failing, beware. That's for members. Let me talk to you for a moment, guests. If you're here and you're a guest of our church, meaning you've not yet became a member, but you are a guest, it would be as if you're sitting on the front porch of the church. If the church is a home and, and covenant members are then welcomed into the home, if you're a guest, then you're sitting on our porch, so to speak. And I'd want you to know that while we love for you to be on our porch, um, we hope you don't live on our porch forever, okay? Uh, living on a porch is a weird place to live when you're close to a house. Um, and just like if I came and knocked on your door and I was on your porch, I mean, either you're going to invite me in at some point or you're going to have to say, uh, Jared, it's time to go home because uh, it's our porch and you can't live here. Uh, so we would say in love and a twinkle in our eye, if, if, if you're here and you're checking Mill Creek out and you've kind of gotten the tour, then we'd love for you to take that step and become a member. Otherwise, you're kind of a squatter. <laughs> and uh, for those who are evaluating, well, Pastor, I'm not sure if I'm ready to commit yet to Mill Creek. I'm not sure yet. Here's a great test. Here's a great test. Test the teaching. Consider Paul's inspection. Is the doctrine sound 
or is it unhealthy? And if you determine, well, I think it's unhealthy, okay. Or, or maybe you determine, well, you guys, you guys don't believe everything I believe goes in the essential bucket. You put some stuff like age of the earth or eschatology or whether, whether there's a rapture or not, you put that in the preference bucket and I disagree with you. Well, okay, that's fine. If you can't be a member in good conscience with our doctrines, then let's help you find a place where you can commit, become a member of that church. For those here who are not yet Christian, you're checking this thing out. You're wondering, I don't know if I'm actually going to become a Christian or not. Here's what I want to say to you. If one of the reasons that you're struggling to become a Christian is because you are aware that there have been some really bad teachers, that there have been false teachers who have hurt the church with bad theology, and if you're thinking, man, I'm just not going to be taken for granted because there's some bad teachers out there, I would want you to know bad teachers have been around for several thousand years. And sadly, bad teachers are going to continue to be around. So yes, there are some who distort God's word and they bend it to try to make it say something that benefits them selfishly and they are wrong. But if you're here and you're thinking that because there are counterfeit Christian teachers out there, that then you are going to and reject all the claims of Christianity, I would, I would suggest you to consider that there's also counterfeit cash out there. But just because somebody's forging $100 bills, my guess is doesn't mean you never use cash. So it is with Christianity. Just because there's counterfeits out there doesn't mean you ought to, you ought to reject Christianity at all. In fact, in a backwards way, Something gets counterfeited because the original is actually really valuable. Like, like if, you're, if you're a kid and you're in your basement and you're forging $100 bills, you need to quit. That's against God's law. Um, what'd you learn today, honey, at church? Uh, I got to quit my counterfeit business, mom and dad, so pastor made sure I didn't do that anymore. The reason people counterfeit, the reason they are forging $100 bills is because cash is inherently valuable. So it is with Christianity. There is an inherent value to Christianity even though there are counterfeits. And just as you wouldn't let the possibility of a fake $100 bill prevent you from ever using cash, don't let the possibility of a fake teacher prevent you from faith in Jesus Christ. Here then is the first inspection along with some application for members, guests, and those seeking. Let's, let's move to the second. The second inspection to determine the structural integrity of teachers. Are the leaders content with Christ or craving cash? Pick up with me there at verse 6, and you can see that Paul has just come off this idea that some teachers imagine godliness as a means of gain. But those would be false teachers, whereas genuine teachers are godly and content. What Paul's saying is, hey, Timothy, the kind of teachers you want, they're not craving cash. They're actually satisfied with Christ. See, godliness is a value in every way. We learned that in 1 Timothy 4.8. And godliness helps us realize, verse 7, that we came into the world with nothing and we will leave with nothing. 
Our church, you know that, right? You brought nothing into this world. And you will be leaving with nothing from this world. That's the way it works. And if you watch football this afternoon, I can't think I've ever seen one commercial where they encourage you to remember that no matter what you buy, it won't matter once you're dead. (laughs) That marketing strategy never succeeds in the boardroom. (laughs) I've got an idea. Let's just let them know that no matter how much they spend their money, it'll always leave them dissatisfied and longing for more. But that's what the Bible says. In fact, as I was preparing for this sermon, I came across a little story about a lady who died, old lady who died, and she was wicked rich. She just had globs of money. So much money that somebody had the gall to come up to the pastor who was doing the funeral and to say, tell me, pastor, how much did she leave? How much is there? And that pastor wisely said, you want to know how much she left? She left everything. She left it all. Because it doesn't matter how much she had here. She can take none of it with her. Commentary ends the story with this little phrase. It is a perspective to remember we take nothing with us, which should influence our economic lifestyle. For possessions are only the traveling luggage of time, friends. They are not the stuff of eternity. It would be sensible, therefore, to travel light and, as Jesus himself commanded us, not to store up for ourselves, that is, to accumulate selfishly treasures on earth. So then what do sound teachers need? Paul tells us, verse 8, food and clothing. Food and clothing, which, as I was doing my homework on that word that We translate food and clothing also has a semantic range that includes a shelter, a home. So I'm real grateful that the Mill Creek elders don't just say, hey, we'll let you have some clothes, we'll let you eat, but you can eat, you can have no place to live. No, Paul's point is contentedness isn't trying to live in abject poverty. It is not ignoring the basic necessities. And yet the kind of teachers that a church needs to have should not be known for longing or lusting after luxury. That's not the kind of teachers a church with a solid structure is to have. Oh, I know that sounds like the American dream. It's just good to want more. It's good to go into debt. It's good to consume, consume. Our our economy is built on it. We are not following the American dream. Now look at Paul's warning, verse 9. Those, verse 9, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. See what Paul's saying is, hey, Timothy, if you ever wake up one morning and the church has this sagging floor, you might head to the basement. And if you've got teachers, load-bearing teachers, who actually love money, you have a big problem. You have a big problem. Pastor, is, don't you think Paul's exaggerating a little bit to say that the love of money 
leads to all kinds of evils? Really, what kind of evils would it lead to? Allow me to quote from a commentary again. A long list could be given. Avarice, greed. Greed leads to selfishness, cheating, fraud, perjury, robbery, to envy, quarreling, and hatred, to violence and even murder. Greed lies behind marriages of convenience, perversions of justice, drug pushing, pornography sales, blackmail, the exploitation of the weak, the neglect of good causes, and the betrayal of friends. Let us make no mistake. Sinful roots produce sinful fruit. But stay on the line of the scripture with me, friends, because Paul is not saying that rich teachers are inherently immoral and sinful and poor teachers are inherently wonderful. He's not saying that money is inherently moral or immoral, but from the Bible, the love of money. And I just want us to be clear here because it's not about a rich teacher versus a poor teacher. The issue is being content or covetous. Here then's the evaluation for Timothy to take. Are the teachers in Ephesus content with Christ or are they craving cash? True for them, true for us. Here again for application, let's follow Paul, let's conduct an inspection. Here's how this would work. First to you members. Members, the question for you to evaluate is this. Are the Mill Creek elders, are the teachers of this church, those who preach, are they content with Christ or do they crave cash? You might be thinking, well, that's a weird question. I mean, you're in fact preaching to us and you're calling us to evaluate your motives there. How are we supposed to know? When I agree, you can't perfectly know my heart. In lots of ways, I don't perfectly know my heart. But what we know is that there is a line between sound teachers and false teachers. So I would say, members, at a minimum, you ought to ask your teachers. I think that's a question that's on the table that you could come and ask me. Hey, pastor, do you struggle with craving cash or do you find yourself content in Christ? I think that's a legit question to ask the elder board. Hey, does our main preacher, Jeremy, does he demonstrate character that actually seems to be content in Christ or is that guy all about the Benjamins? You can ask that question and you can follow my example. You can evaluate me. Which again, that may sound weird to you like, dude, I'm kind of up in your business on that thing. That's part of being in a church and being members together. And sin's deceitful. We, we are kind of in our, each other's business in some ways. And, and it's not weird for me to say, if it's weird for you, sorry, members, not weird for me, because at the end of the day, here's what we're seeing from God's word, that there are ways that you can get deceived, and I'm wondering if some of those teachers that, that have really hurt the church because they just loved money so much, I wonder if it wouldn't have been helpful to have a few elders or a few people kind of raising a red flag going, hey, there seems to be a problem with that person. 
Not to mention, it's, it's not awkward to me because, guys, my job is to be a waiter who serves the food of the executive chef. So God, he, he plates the food, and my job is to bring it to you, and you got to do whatever you got to do with God's, God's food, but I'm not about to try to mess with it on the way from the kitchen to your table. So that's a consideration for you. Friends, inspect away, ask and watch, and if Mill Creek teachers are content with Christ, amen. And if they're not, we should beware, because that shows that the structural integrity of our church resembles a giant cereal bowl and needs some significant attention. One more way to think about this, members, is your disciples making disciples. An implication here, are you content with Christ or are you craving cash? Let me ask you this way. Are you more concerned, member, with growing your income or growing in godliness. If you could have only one. You could only have one. Door number one, grow your income. Or door number two, grow in godliness. And if we pumped you full of truth serum and put you on a polygraph, which one would you really want? I confess there's times where I think... If I could just have a little bit of money, I would feel more content. But God's words are correction for anyone who finds themselves thinking that way. The real contentment we want, it's found in Jesus. That's who we really want. Members, if you are craving cash, beware. You came into this world with nothing. You will be leaving with nothing. And a very practical step to battling greed and covetousness is to give money away. As, as Randy Alcorn says, I quoted this before. I'll probably quote it again. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And, and, and I know Paul's not explicitly talking in here that you have to be more generous or you have to tithe. But if you are here and you recognize that you struggle with contentment, one incredible way to battle the dragon of greed is to slay it with generosity. It is better to give than to receive. And a practical way to grow in godliness is being generous. Members, that's for you. Let me talk to guests. If you're here and you are... Checking Mill Creek out. You're on our front porch. You're trying to decide, will I become a member? Will I not become a member? Prior to committing to this church or whatever church you land at would be asking this question, are they buying what they are selling? Are they eating what they're cooking? Right, if, if you go to a bakery, you go to some, some guy who's selling donuts, and he's super skinny. <laughs> Come on, man. I want a doctor's note that says your metabolism is bananas or else I ain't buying. <laughs> Friends, if you're, you're checking a church out, don't trust, don't trust a preacher who craves cash and is not content with Christ. Don't do it. 
And when it comes to financial integrity, man, you want to find a church that has good financial integrity. And, and guests, in case you care to know, we try really hard to have best practices in the way we do financial integrity at this church. Not that there couldn't be some bad actor at some point. Not that Mill Creek may not someday have the temptation. But in all my time here, I've been here for eight years, and I have... Um, I've never had access to cash that people give. Um, I can't write a check from the church's account. Every check that gets written, uh, in case you didn't know, has to have two signatures, and I don't get to be one of them. Um, I've never had a list of what everybody gives. Uh, some people don't believe it, but uh, other pastors do, but I have no clue what people give. Sometimes I get told if a new giver gives, if you give for the first time, I'll eventually get something, I'll write you a little note and say thanks, but I don't know what it is. I've, I've never walked into a bank on behalf of Mill Creek and had access to money. I don't even know what bank we keep our money at. <laughs> Somebody does, and they got to they gotta go with you know, several keys and do all the stuff to get their... From Pastor Marty, Pastor Dave, others who have access to financials. We, we just had an elder meeting. Mr. Justin, one of our elders, is, is leading the charge. We're there till 11 o'clock at night. Some guys are trying to budget every single dollar. Again, not that we haven't made mistakes, but, but we are working our hardest to have integrity. And if you're a guest trying to figure out how do you want to connect, those would be some good questions to ask. Are the people of the church trying to guard? We've had out exterior audits. We're going to have them again. Costs a lot of money. It's okay. God owns it all. <laughs> Just trying to be good stewards. Grateful for Pastor Marty, Miss Lisa, Betty Lou, others. That's for you guests. Evaluate the church to see are they craving cash or are they content with Christ. If you're here and you're not a member, you're not a guest, you're seeking. Here's what I want to say to you in view of this category. Understand there are some who will teach you that it's actually good to crave cash. I'm sure you could find a church someday, somewhere, in Kansas City, even that's meeting this morning that says, when you love money, you love something good. And they'll tell you that if you would just put a few dollars in the offering plate, however much you give, God will bless you this week times 10 or 1,000. And what they're teaching you is not to be content with Christ, but actually to use Christ to get what you really want. And what I want you to see then is, Christianity has never been about how do we leverage Christ to get cash. And, and, if, and if that's what you thought, that, you know what, I'm going to show up at church, and I'm going to just, I'm going to give the big man an hour and a half of my time, and maybe he's going to hook me up with a random deposit into my checking account this week because I put a little seed money in the offering, I'm telling you, Christianity isn't about how you get money. Christianity, at its heart, is how you get something far more valuable. You get Jesus. Jesus is not one priority among many. He is not what you leverage to get what you really want. He's what you really want. And if you're here and you're a guest, you're worshiping something. Everybody worships something and at judgment, no matter how much money you have, it will not save you. If you're treasuring Christ, amen. If you're treasuring money, repent. 
follow Christ. See, Christians, we do sacrifice present pleasure for future gain. And when we give to the Lord, we do expect a reward. We just recognize most of it is long after we've passed away. And so we look to Christ. And what I'd invite you to do, if you're here and you have never trusted in Christ, I would invite you to look to Him. Because He is the foundation of everything that matters. And if your life friend who doesn't know Christ really does feel like it's caving in on itself, if you find yourself going, man, there's this cereal bowl thinking happening in your life and stuff's leaning in and you realize the structural integrity's gone, my guess is because you have tried to build on something that's not Jesus. And perhaps even right now, through the power of the Spirit, he would be getting your attention, telling you, you need to go down into the basement of your heart, and you need to trade out those pillars that are failing you, and you need the one true pillar, Jesus Christ. Jesus, he is the true pillar that all of real life and the church is built upon. Jesus, the true pillar, who when he went to the cross, did not bow or break. Jesus at the cross was a strong pillar who took the entire weight of God's wrath and he never split. Instead, Christ stood taking all of God's judgment unto death. And three days later, he was resurrected and he offers us the greatest treasure then today. For those without Christ, Sell out for him. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the way. He's the one who said that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who is looking for treasure hidden in the field. When he found it, he covered up and he went and he sold all that he had to buy that field. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding that one pearl of great value, that's Jesus, went, sold all that he had and bought it. If you're here and you don't have Christ, sell out for him. For those here who are trusting in Christ, may sound doctrine lead you to find contentment in him. Would be a miracle if God would give us contented hearts, Christian. Will you join me in praying for that and that the lost may come to know him? Father, we ask now that you might accomplish what only you can do. Would you give us hearts that are saved? For those here who don't know you, I pray, Spirit, you would do what only you can do. Save. Bring life. May Christ's death and resurrection save even now. God, for those here who are Christian, I pray that you would grant them great contentment regardless of what happens with their finances. May they rest in the mystery of godliness. Christ's finish death for sins. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.